0: This is no April Fool's joke. Our March membership campaign was so successful that we're extending it through the entire month of April. Enjoy 50% off the regular monthly or annual membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code nofooling, one word, to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. This is a limited time offer, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code NOFOOLING to receive 50% off. Thank you. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein, We've got the boats and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel.
1: These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we go into another election cycle. And today we have another, we had taken a couple of weeks, not off because our listeners uh, were able to get weekly podcasts, but uh, Norm, we recorded some of those episodes uh, earlier with our friend David Rothkoff and a lot has happened since then. And so we think today we're going to tackle, if I had to put a theme on it, maybe I'll put the larger, we, I think of the original theme norm, if you will, was, uh, man, our judiciary is really screwed up. And I think we can now put an asterisk on that and say, man, all of our public institutions are are really screwed up because <laughs> we can include the Senate, the House, we can include the administration, we can include all sorts of topics into into that theme. But we were hoping with our general discussion to talk about some of the judiciary uh, issues that have intersected with uh, reproductive health. Maybe we'll touch on how that spills over into some of the election issues. And then in our members only section, we'll tackle a little bit more specifically, uh, one of our favorite justices, Clarence Thomas, and some of the incredible uh, whirl of controversy or in his mind, non-controversy, because he didn't do anything. And he checked with his colleagues on luxury trips. And so we can talk about that as well. So Norm, how are you doing? This is, uh, this is quite a hefty week. Tell me, tell me your thoughts and reactions to many of the things that unfolded that I just mentioned.
0: So first, Kavita, uh, one larger uh, issue here that I find very troubling, which is the idea that one lone district judge out of the many hundreds in the country can somehow issue a nationwide injunction imposing that judge's views uh, on uh, the entire country. Uh, I find it bizarre. I cannot fathom the possibility that the framers ever would have accepted anything like that. Of course, there were no district judges back at the time. The Supreme Court, when it was first created, was given a very narrow jurisdiction in our Constitution, and then whatever else Congress gave to it. But it has loomed so much larger, and it's loomed so much larger with this collection of utterly radical judges, for which we can thank Leonard Leo and the Federalist Society, Mitch McConnell, and then, of course, Donald Trump. But it isn't just them. We have two cases in the last couple of weeks that uh, stick out. One was a George W. Bush judge, Reed O'Connor, who basically unilaterally knocked out a key part of the Affordable Care Act. Um, The other, of course, is Matthew Kaczmarek. Uh, And here we have uh, just uh, something that is utterly pernicious, and this is not the first time with him. He is a bomb-throwing, radical, fundamentalist, uh, uh, American Sharia law uh, judge, uh, taking Sharia law at uh, the extreme level that uh, some of our conservatives have in Amarillo, Texas. The Amarillo district is a huge geographical area, but there is only one judge there. And right wingers regularly go to Amarillo. In this case, involving this pill, I can't pronounce it very well. I'll let M- you. Mifepristone.
1: It's okay. Mifepristone. I know it's very. It's not mifepristone. Yeah. Mife and and pristone is the easier yeah. way.
0: Yeah. Um, you had a bunch of people who were not directly affected by this, which means that, according to the fundamental standards of the American judiciary. They had no standing and had no right to bring this case, but it didn't matter with Kaz who basically issued a nationwide ban um, and despite the lack of of standing, but also uh, with no grounds. This is a drug that we know for 23 years has been deemed safe by the FDA, repeatedly deemed safe. And even more disturbing in some ways was in a footnote, Kaczmarek basically injected his extremist fundamentalist religious views into the whole notion of what personhood is, which is uh, lacking judicial temperament, to put it very, very nicely. but you know all of this has thrown a wrench into the society and the works of the society and we're far from being able to deal with it we can uh, next get to what the fifth circuit has done with this and where we may be going with it but just this whole concept that you can handpick radical judges who will do whatever their radical ideology wants and then impose it nationwide is no way to run a democracy.
1: And and I think that if we make so much of this um, kind of focus on Kazmarek, which we, it, everything you said, I, I want to bold underscore, underline, whatever, hyper italicize, but I think if people want to limit this or in their brains limit this to Amarillo, they they should not because we, and I forget the statistic, Norm. I think you've got a piece coming out in Slate, it sounds like that might be touching on some of these. You may may wanna talk about that or when we should all be looking for that. But I, I would be interested in understanding how many Amarillos do we have across the country? And certainly the one judge in this particularly large district is somewhat unusual, but it's actually not that rare nor is it rare that even if it's not just one judge, that you can do this kind of district shopping. And by the way, we saw that. I want to remind listeners that, you know, we saw this like right after the Affordable Care Act passed. I remember at least the kind of slew of like, you know, lawsuits and amicus briefs then that we, people had filed on behalf of the ACA and then the numbers of, you know, Hobby Lobby versus at the time Sibelius and others around specific provisions that has continued. And Braidwood versus Becerra, which is also a little bit under, has not gotten a lot of attention, but was another Texas judge that basically ruled in favor of the plaintiffs in saying that the the requirement in the ACA to pay for preventive services did no longer held because it was an overreach and for different reasons unconstitutional that's just one another example I mean the myth of Pristone is like the most like remarkable slap in the face but this is not unusual nor is this district shopping nor is the unfortunately growing number of districts you can shop in because of what we'll get to next when we talk about the fifth circuit decision which I'm still trying to read I have not read through the I'm like on page I think it's like five of seventy but I um because that kind of broke at about like two in the morning as best as I gather at least that was when I could see the documents and it hit like the Washington Post um headlines but basically the Fifth Circuit which has two three three judges two Trump appointees one a George W. Bush appointee um all three unanimously ruled that they that basically we need to roll back the Mifepristone access to essentially what it was before 2021 and I'll be curious Norm just to um in, in this theme of what you're talking about. I'm curious to get your reaction. I actually was talking to some Biden administration people because the um, Justice Department will likely appeal this, but they're in a precarious situation. What we have now is a ruling that essentially gives us everything we had prior to 2021, which was 20, you know, about 21 years of access to this drug. But it was really a burden. It was, it was unnecessary after 21 years of safety data and monitoring what we had in 2021 should not have stood and had, and what we saw was the Biden administration and the FDA took away some of those really dumb restrictions, restrictions like you shouldn't be, you know, you can't mail the prescription, restrictions like you need the, um, the first prescription to be in person. So I couldn't do a telehealth one if I wanted to and across state lines. So um, a lot of these, you can't dispense this drug at like regular box retail pharmacies, like things like that. So um, I think I think that if I were in the justice department, I would feel pretty strongly like we need to appeal this, but Norm, tell me what happens, play this scenario out in this specific situation, goes to a Supreme court, where as you're gonna talk about Clarence Thomas and our members only section, we'll discuss that. I'm not sure the odds look that great on this, on the Supreme court side. What do we do? And so we're, we're in a corner on this judiciary conversation. What, what is there to do? And what would, what would you do, you, kind of thinking through where the administration goes now on this particular case with Mifor
0: I would appeal, and here's why, Kavita. Um, we know from Kesmark's original ruling that it basically destroys the FDA's ability to approve drugs. And the pharmaceutical industry is, uh, to put it mildly, deeply upset by this. Because basically, if you don't have uh, a government agency that can operate effectively to approve drugs, you could be out of business as an industry, or you could be thrown into utter turmoil. So, uh, and keep in mind that the pharmaceutical industry is a major funder. For Republicans in the country. Uh, So um, there's a lot of cross pressure here on this one. At the same time, we know that in a a ruling in the past, uh, Alito basically stood with the FDA and said, if the FDA's approval uh, process is done in the appropriate fashion, you can't uh, throw it out the window or challenge it. So I would appeal because uh, it seems to me that justices who we know are driven by politics now uh, more than their own uh, uh, judicial uh, uh, conservatism, shall we say, um, uh, are going to be hard-pressed to basically go back and embrace what Kazmarek did because it would throw the country into turmoil over cancer drugs uh, and over a whole host of- Well, every,
1: actually I'm more concerned, I'm incredibly concerned like birth control was next, right? Because there are actually like, you know, all the craziness that was in the kismaric ruling, you could take that language, scratch out the word mifepristone, and put in, you know, oral contraceptives or sure. any of like the reproductive kind of medicines that we use commonly that like I have taken for granted to be honest. So you're a hundred percent right. Like I think pharma jumped on this and then I'll be, it hasn't come up. So I say it very quietly, my quiet voice, cause I'm a little nervous that if we have uh, any friends of kesmeric listening to this, which I'm pretty confident they're not DSR subscribers although they should oh. be, um, vaccines. Every single thing he pointed yeah. out, Norm like we could just apply the word vaccine in there. Right. And so I mean, COVID vaccines are ripe for that kind of like district shopping, you know, and I think that's why, by the way, you're seeing much of the country backing off of like mandates and, you know, a lot of the things that like a year ago were kind of, you know, the administration trying to put in like an occupational mandate and health workers and et cetera, health workers still have that vaccine mandate requirement, but they're one of the few groups where that's, you know, kind of held steady, and even that will probably go away. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you in terms of <laughs> in terms of the nobility of pharma and how we we know that this is um, not just the GOP standing up for what's right. Can I make a comment? Unless I'm wrong, Norm, I didn't see a single Republican who's well funded by the GOP say anything other than support by Mike Pence for the decision. Am I? Did I? Did you see anything? Oh, I think
0: they have uh, studiously tried to stay out of uh, this exactly right exactly and exactly I, and for exactly that reason you know as you were talking about oral contraceptives i thought to myself will trojan condoms file an amicus brief uh, supporting <laughs> the decision
1: <laughs> uh, Tro- trojan uh, condoms the joke yeah. is like should we just start should we um should a group of us try to serve on the plaintiff's side against Viagra in like a Vermont court. That's like oh, yeah. a yeah. like a that's like a good uh text thread that's Absolutely. running around my circles. And but I mean, you know, we laugh, like I'm I'm laughing because it's real. Like it's like I'm laughing because it's reality. So then if you are so you made a good point, Norm. So you would take this Fifth Circuit decision, you would appeal. I feel like you and I know how this could end up in the Supreme Court though. So then what, Norm? What's well, the, what's first the stakes of all, it's, there?
0: it's possible that the court mm-hmm. would uh, decide to take another way out, which is to say that the plaintiffs mm-hmm. didn't have standing. They okay. may do that. They and, could, you, you could see that uh, then. This could actually I be- I see that happening. But I could also see them, uh, I, I mean, it seems to me the likelihood, even that this Alito-led court Mm-hmm. would basically go back and overrule the Fifth Circuit and say Kazmarek was right, the whole thing is banned. Right. I think that likelihood remains very small. I think yeah. there is a chance that they could just go along with the Fifth Circuit. And you know the radical anti-abortion justices, and there are at least five and probably six of them, may decide that they could take in a way for them, the easy way out, which is fundamentally to say, um, okay, we're not going to keep the FDA from saying that this is a safe medication, but it can't be mailed, Mm -hmm. which would be tremendously restrictive. It would put a huge burden on a lot of women uh, who then would have to go to a doctor multiple times to make this happen. Um, But then you're no worse off than if you uh, uh, decided not to appeal. So uh, okay. to me, it's compelling that you, uh, that you move to appeal. And I think if, if this Supreme Court, which is already on extraordinarily shaky ground with the American people, it has, uh, thanks in significant part to John Roberts, destroyed its own credibility as a judicial institution. Um, if they decided to go full-out radical on this one, throwing the whole medical and, and and drug system into turmoil, potentially causing mass deaths, but certainly uh, enormous upheaval, um, that would be the end of it for this uh, Supreme Court, I think. Mm-hmm. You would start to see a, a whole lot of different uh, demonstrations and an enormous backlash out there. And I think before that happened, um, Mitch McConnell and other Republicans concerned about their own electoral standing, who we know regularly converse with their buddies on the Supreme Court that they uh, got in there in the first place, um, would tell them, uh, no, go easy on this one. Uh, so I, I don't think you're worse off if you appeal.
1: Okay. All right. Good. So, I mean, that's uh, that makes me feel a little bit better about the uh, as in my head is playing out these, the doomsday scenario. Then I have a question. Um, this uh, what's great about this podcast is it's usually me just asking Norm, a lot of questions that I personally want to have answered, but I'm hopefully reflective of our listenership. So we have this Washington state decision as well, uh, Norm. So yeah. uh, I spoke with some colleagues at the FDA late last night, not, not having um I think they had they had heard inklings of this Fifth Circuit decision, not quite the granularity that we know the, that the ruling has, but they had heard inklings because I think that like the rumors and some people had kind of said, like, hey, look, it's they're gonna rule soon and they're probably gonna be able to kind of push it back to the way it used to be. Um, but the FDA said that their conundrum is then they've the Washington state decision. So they've got kind of these, you know, the Fifth Circuit and then Washington State norm. How then? So the agency is actually kind of letting the Justice Department, again, make the decision to appeal, et cetera. And the agency is just kind of pulling back. Um, what do I make out of that Washington state ruling, which basically invalidated Kaczmarek's ruling? And then you have a Fifth Circuit on top of that. I mean, it's it's judicial confusion. And just to put this to where it's relevant to me, um, I got an email that Monday this past monday so you know casmerix ruling came out which had to stay and didn't ha- didn't go into effect immediately anyway no matter what and who had it appealed um i got a, we got an email from my employer the clinical employer that said we should all cease until we get further information we should cease prescribing mifepristone including off label prescribing which a lot of us thought okay like if the FDA pulls the approval, we could use what's called off-label prescribing because mifepristone is actually used. It's it's well un, mostly unknown to the American public. There is a smaller indication for the exact same drug for something called Cushing's syndrome. So we would be able to kind of write it, not for someone with Cushing's, We would do it off-label, but I could still legally write it. Um, but we were told like to hold off, which was premature and wrong. And, and we corrected that. But you can see that even like pretty smart people are confused. So tell me what you think out of how then Washington state conflicting rulings, also pressure. I don't know if you saw this pressure from the left, from the progressive side for the FDA to ignore all of it, no matter what, because fifth circuit or not, they actually don't have the authority to force the FDA to do this because of the way the FDA was set up to be independent. Like from everything, (laughs) so so it's interesting. I don't think the FDA can do that, right? I don't think the administration. You don't want to set up a president where we just ignore the rulings we don't like. But it is pretty interesting. You had some pretty progressive, um, you know, uh, pretty progressive Democrats that said they don't have to do any of this. They're within their right to ignore it.
0: Uh, That leaves me uneasy for all the. No, no, no. Yeah,
1: I agree. But it's it's interesting. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I don't want to head down the road of. Uh, basically, uh, uh, I mean, we've seen a case emerging in Texas of jury nullification. Mm -hmm. I don't want complete judicial nullification because that could have very serious side effects. But the Washington state decision uh, actually triggered in me something that I've wondered for some time, which Mm -hmm. is, why is this only occurring on the radical right? Why aren't we getting preemptive moves to get nationwide injunctions to block some of these right-wing actions before other district judges are able to step in and take them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's still not clear to me why uh, we can't see. Uh, now, I, I'd i like to eliminate all of this pernicious uh, judge shopping um, to yeah. get decisions that you like. I'd like to move away from the ability of lone judges to do nationwide injunctions. But if they're going to do this, then it ought to be happening on the other side preemptively. And um, that's one of the things we just saw uh, with the uh, uh, Washington uh, decision, a district court judge there. I don't think it was done. It actually was a separate case brought that just happened to have the same timing, but um, we can look ahead and know where we're going to see right wing radicals, religious fundamentalists, go back to Kazmarek or go to other judges, uh, and we know where they're headed, headed off in advance. And I'd uh, like to see at least some serious thought put into why that uh, either uh, is unwise or wouldn't be possible, or into Mobilizing to make it happen.
1: Yeah, I agree, and and I agree. The judge shopping is uh, it's troubling. Getting back to our overarching yeah. theme of the judiciary system is really screwed up. And and I and I I know that um, on our other kind of sister brother pro- podcast, uh, Deep State, we've kind of touched on this by talking to some of the like the ex DOJ officials, etc. But I'm um, th- Norm. These these judges are not in their 80s and 90s. I mean, these are judges that are not going anywhere, Norm. They, so they're not.
0: chosen to be in 100%. I mean,
1: Amy Comey Barrett is what, yeah. 47? I don't yeah. even think she's 50 yet, right? So, so I, I mean, this is not like a 2023 conversation that's gonna go away. So, okay, so then, I, and maybe, then maybe you touch on some of this in some of your upcoming writings. Let's close out with, so what should we do? This gets back to your- I feel like if I rewound the time machine to the beginning of this podcast, the filibuster, right? This, I mean, if ever there was a case clearer, right? This is just another reminder. So tell me your let's uh, let's rewind the time machine. Tell me in your kind of not so short order, what are the things we need to do if Dems, if things work out in 2024, why elections matter, things work out in 2024 and you know, the Senate's tenuous, maybe we keep the white house. I hope we keep the white house. Um, what do we do?
0: So if we had, let's say, and you know, this is more steeply uphill than I can imagine, let's say we have 53 Democrats in the Senate, a Democratic House and a Democratic president. Then the first thing you have to do is to change the filibuster rules so you can make some things happen by majority. The next thing that I would do is to make sure that... Um, you remove the Casmaric problem. And the way you do that is by saying that the Amarillo <laughs> district is going to add uh, say, at least two new judges that you would confirm, so that um it's uh at least uh less likely that a judge chosen by lot in that district would be casmaric and you run the risk of having the opposite happen. That's one small thing, but I would say if I'm going to really begin to transform the role of the judiciary back to where it was supposed to be, uh, away from what it has become, my wish list would start with enlarging the court. Um, 13 justices, Mm -hmm. one for each of the circuits other than the D.C. circuit, because the nine that we settled on was because there were nine circuits. But also... All you're doing is righting the wrongs of the norms that were blown up by Mitch McConnell with uh, the uh, death of uh, Scalia and blocking Merrick Garland, and then the utterly inappropriate confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett uh, eight days before a presidential uh, election. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, basically bring it back to where it was supposed to be. But if we didn't do that, I would begin to restrict the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. You know, if you if we went back to what the framers had in mind, the Supreme Court would only have jurisdiction over <clears throat> disputes involving foreign nations, disputes between the states, maritime and admiralty law, no appellate authority. Um, We have a bill that was introduced uh, by Sean Caston, one of our best members of Congress from Illinois, that would move them back towards that original jurisdiction, but also give appellate jurisdiction, not to the Supreme Court, but to a court consisting of the uh, chief judges of the district, uh, of the circuit courts. Um, There are lots of things that you could do. Uh, And... Even if you begin to discuss those things and send a warning shot across the bow, we have to remember that when Franklin Roosevelt moved to uh, what they then called packing the court and failed, and it was seen as a failure, was actually a success because the simple act of saying, you are a rogue court. You're saying that everything that happened in the new deal is unconstitutional. Well, we're gonna take action And the court heard that message and suddenly changed the way it looked at the world. Now, I'm not sure how much you can change the way this court looks at the world, but there are lots of ways in which you could begin to move in a different direction. Obviously, too, if I could have that uh, Senate that could act, I would add D.C. and Puerto Rico as states. I would enact laws protecting the right to vote. Um, There are all kinds of things that ought to be done that would be basically just writing wrongs and injustices. Um, but we're probably far away from that and we're gonna have a long time pitched battle. And I just wanna get back to one of the things that you've said, Kavita, about contraceptives. We know where this court would like to go. It's not just to uh, eliminate abortion. And we also know that all of those people, the uh, ones who labeled themselves pro-life, who said, we just want to send this back to the states, they're now saying openly, no, it's not that. We want to outlaw all abortion everywhere in the country. But they also want to uh, eliminate uh, same-sex relationships, They wanna go back and uh, make illegitimate uh, sodomy. They wanna return to those anti-sodomy laws. They wanna move in directions that would take us back to a dark age of American history. And we're gonna have a pitched battle over many, many years to keep them from winning. There is a very good column in the New York Times uh, just yesterday by Tom Edsel. I think it's only available online about where we're headed. And uh, the fact is, uh, we're not headed in a good direction. All right, I'll have to
1: look. I, I usually kind of scan all the uh, New York Times opinion headlines. I missed that one, so good. I'm glad, and we'll put a plug in. When is your slate piece coming out, Norm?
0: Probably in May. It's gonna be part of a, of a special section on what to do about the Supreme Court. Okay, and this well, is why. Uh, Clarence Thomas and the ethics issues.
1: You'll call you'll call it out when we when it's yes. um, kind of imminent, which is not is it not that yeah. far away. Well, good. Well, yeah. we're we're going to continue this conversation about the um, incredible, <laughs> the incredible, disturbing state of the judiciary, mm-hmm. and in our touch on uh, Clarence Thomas, maybe even briefly touch on Feinstein, just because of some of the implications on the judiciary panel and what's at stake. So let me first, so close out and thank everyone for joining us. Thank you, Norm, always. I loved your, I'm going to call it Norm's prescription for fixing our country in no short order, uh, which will take courage. By the way, if we do what you said, Norm, all of what you said, we can tackle some of the issues that you and I have discussed around gun control. I mean, think of all the things that then have a kind of a, a wave of effects that we could try to start to tackle with some humanity so I think it's I think it's great I think we need to keep saying it over and over especially as the elections get closer and people are kind of wondering like you know what what's at stake here just reminding them so I want to thank everyone for joining us thank you Norm and wanted to just encourage folks if you like this uh, review subscribe on all we're on all the feeds and share this episode with your friends and if you want to get even more for just uh, less lesson a latte about a latte a month you can become a member of the DSR network especially a very nice latte get the access to our bonus segments and some other behind the scenes things that uh, members get to have access to we want to thank our incredible producer Chris Cotnoir and remind folks that Words Matter is a production of the DSR network next episode of Words Matter should be in your podcast feeds on April 20th see you then